This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. And good morning, church. How are we this morning? That's what I'm talking about. It's 2023, y'all. It felt like it took a while to get here, but not all at the same time. Am I right? Well, we're going to be reading out of Ephesians today, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. If you want to go ahead and open that up in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some black Bibles there at your seat. Feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. We're just, uh, we're glad you're here. So open up to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Man, I'm so glad to see you all here. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're worshiping with us online, we're glad that you're worshiping with us. We can't wait till you come and worship with us in person. Um, If you made your New Year's resolution to be in church more often, that's all right. We'll count this one as a mulligan and we'll see you next week, right? If you made this your New Year's resolution to be in church more often and you're here, congratulations. You're one for one. So, so far so good in the new year, right? We're glad you're here. I, uh, I, I don't know if we've had a chance to meet, but my name is Sam. Uh, my wife, Julia, and I get the pleasure to lead as the directors of Next Steps here at Real Life. Um, we have a daughter named Caroline who will be 13 months tomorrow. Um, we have a, yeah, that's right, she's the star of the, of the family, we all know it. Uh, we have a dog named Walker who's a Blue Healer Lab, and uh, we've been here at Real Life since just about the beginning. Uh, we've had the opportunity to lead in a lot of capacities, but leading as the director of Next Steps has been an incredible blessing for us, so we're just happy to be here. I love the new year, right? It, it feels like December is kind of a sludge. You're just trying to get to the end of the year. You're like, man, if I can make it to January 1st, everything will be better, right? I love the new year because it brings new beginnings. It brings just a fresh eyes on things. You're going to set some big, audacious goals for what your year is going to look like, right? A lot of, we, a lot of us sit down and uh, make resolutions this time of year. We're going to set things about how we can improve our health how we can improve our finances, how we can fix our house, we can fix our family, we can build a family, things like that. And we're going to make these big resolutions that are going to have clear progress, they're going to have clear results at the end. But what if we made a resolution for 2023 that didn't necessarily have a lot of uh, clear progress as you go? You maybe don't see the results when you get to the end of the year, but you might look back and think, man, I made some incremental changes. Well, Paul kind of gives us a really big goal in here at the beginning of Ephesians 4 that we can set as a church, we can set as members of the church for 2023. So let's jump into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and let's read this together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word and open the minds and the the hearts of those that are hearing it so that they can be uh, enriched and, and uplifted by it. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, right there at the beginning, Paul gives us our 2023 goal, a resolution that we can all make for our, for our year, and that is walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's a pretty big idea, right? Because we've got to break it down and figure out what exactly that means. The first part we've got to figure out is what is this calling, right? He talks about we being worthy of it, so it must be a great calling. It must be something that's, that's high, that's, you know, audacious, right? 
So we got to break down what is that. It could be loving Jesus Christ. It could be uh, following God. It could be having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, which we call being saved. It could be being the church. It could be bringing people to the church, right? There's a lot of things that this calling could be. I think it breaks down pretty simply in our mission here at Real Life. Our mission here at Real Life is to delight in God and disciple others. I believe that's the calling that that Paul is talking about, delighting in God and discipling others. Delighting in God looks like worshiping him every day, being in your Bible every day, praying to him every day, being in a relationship with him, right? That's what delighting in God looks like. And the Psalms tells us when we delight in him, we are filled with a fullness of joy. Filled with a fullness of joy. So that's sort of what we're aiming for, right? That we worship him and come so close to him that we're filled with his fullness of joy. That psalm also tells us that when I am in his presence, he makes known to me the path of life. So we get in his presence so we can be filled with this incredible fullness of joy and we can, he will make known to us the path of life. Well, the second part of that is discipling others. So we delight in him because of this incredible feeling, this incredible joy that we feel when we delight in him. We disciple others because we feel so good, we want everybody else to feel that good. We want them to feel this incredible feeling, right? So we disciple others. We bring people to Jesus. We grow our relationship with Jesus through other followers of Christ, right? So that's what I believe this calling is that Paul is talking about, delighting in God and discipling others. Well, I feel like that's pretty, that's pretty heavy, right? That's, there's a lot there. There's a lot that you, that you have to kind of work for to get to that place where you're delighting in God and get to that place where you feel like you're comfortable to disciple others. And you may be thinking, Paul's telling me to, be, to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. But how am I possibly worthy? Right? Like you may be thinking, like, I've done a lot of things in my life that I don't think it makes me worthy to delight in him. I don't think it makes me worthy to tell other people about him. Right? Well, the good news is Paul didn't say, already be worthy. He didn't say, you're worthy, go do it. He said, walk in a manner worthy. And that, I think that means to act worthy, to try to be, to get a little bit better every day to being worthy of the manner, uh, or to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Or um, we're going to call this sermon today, fake it till you make it, right? We use that phrase a lot, fake it till you make it. What does that mean? It means that you may not know how to do something, but if you put small incremental changes in your life and you just try to learn, you try to get a little bit better, eventually you're going to look like you've been doing it for years and years and years. You're going to look like an expert, right? Fake it till you make it. We use that a lot in school. We use it a lot in work. We just, just try to get the thing done that you're trying to do. And you, believe me, you'll be able to do it if you just try and you just keep working at it. So we're going to call, it, call this, title, or this sermon, Fake It Till You Make It. And uh, I believe that Paul shows us three ways that we can fake it till we make it to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He gives us three ways. Uh, The first is in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness with patience. With all humility, gentleness, with patience. I believe that humility is the chief attitude that we're looking for there that is fueled by gentleness and patience. Humility is probably one of the hardest things for us as, as humans, as Americans, to really boil down and, and have to be humble because we, uh, in America, we look at people who are humble as considered to be weak 
or someone who is, sits in the back, doesn't, doesn't really speak their mind, doesn't really stand up for themselves, right? That's what we think when we think of humble. Because we've been taught through social media, through uh, reality TV, through uh, mainstream media, that if you are the loudest one in the room, if you're overly aggressive, overly opinionated, if you're overly ambitious for yourself and your family, that's a good thing. As long as you're getting what you want and you can push everybody else to the side, that's a good thing. But we know that's not true. Because when we let pride step in the way, when we let pride get in between you and what God has for your life, there is no way that you will be able to delight in him. The psalm tells us, in your presence you make known to me the path of life, right? You make known to me the path of life. But if I'm out and I'm putting my agenda on what God wants for me, if I'm putting my plan forward, there's no way that I can hear what God has for me. There's no way I can hear what he wants for me in my life. And if you have pride when it comes to discipling others, if you're out discipling others because you can look around and say, look what I did, look who I brought to Christ, look who I baptized, people will be able to smell that out really quickly, right? Just because they, don't, they aren't necessarily a believer in Christ right now, and you say some pretty words, and you read them the Bible, and you tell them how great it is to be, uh, be a follower of Christ, but you're doing it so that you can have praise for yourself. They'll sniff that out. And not only will their relationship with Jesus Christ not be genuine, it may not, be, it may not last long. Because they didn't feel a genuine connection to Jesus Christ through you. I think the gentleness <clears throat> and patience sort of fuel our pride uh, and fuel our humility. Because when you, uh, when you go to somebody to correct them or fix something that they've done wrong or maybe intercede on their behalf... And you do it in a way that's gentle, that's loving, that's coming from a place knowing that you've made mistakes and you've, you've gotten better and things like that. You may see that they respond really well to that. But when you come to them with it in a way that's not gentle, that's angry, that uh, just yells at them, that just tells them, fix it right now, do it the exact way that I told them to do it, you'll find that they don't often do what you told them to do and they don't do it the way you want them to do it because they're so scared and fearful of what you'll, how you respond. Gentleness is a key part of humility. Because when you can put yourself aside, you can put away the fact that you know better, that you know how to do it perfectly, and teach someone how to do something, and doing it in a loving way, you'll find that the results are better. So gentleness is a key part of, of humility. Patience, as Paul tells us, is also a key part of humility. Because what, we, what often happens is you're watching someone do something, maybe we'll say here at the church, you're watching somebody do something here at the church, and you think, I could do that better. So you step up, you push them out of the way, and you do it better. Well, that's great, right? Because the thing gets done, and that's really awesome. But that person now feels pushed out. That person feels less than. That person didn't get to learn. They didn't get to fail. They didn't get to get better, right? Patience is such a key part of humility. Recognizing that while you can do something maybe better than somebody else, but them learning how to do it will further the kingdom is such, a, is such an important way to be humble. So, the basic point here for point number one, walk with all humility, gentleness, and patience, is this. When we let our pride slip away, we allow God's influence to be the only one that is present. When we let our pride slip away, we allow God's influence to be the only one that is present. And that's what Paul's asking us to do first, to walk in a manner worthy. That's the first way we, we fake it till we make it. 
We put, pull ourselves out of it, pull the things that we want out of it, and put the things that God wants in, and we allow his influence to be the only one that is present. We've got to let pride get out of the way. The second way that Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, or fake it till you make it, is the second part of that verse, bearing with one another in love. Now, I think that all three of these are kind of difficult to complete, all three of these ways, right? Because if they were easy, Paul wouldn't tell us to do it. Paul, we wouldn't need to do it because we'd probably already do it because it was easy, right? But I think that the second one's probably the hardest one, bearing with one another in love. I think it's hard because if I gave you 10 seconds to think of 10 people that you didn't like, you could probably give me 20, right? I probably could. Like, I can think of people that when they walk in the room, I'm turning around and walking the other way. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to help them with a the task. I don't even want to let my pride get in the way and tell them that I know more than them because I don't want to be around them, right? We all feel that, right? You, you felt that. You know if there's just people that just grate your nerves. But Paul doesn't tell us, bear with the ones you like. He says, bear with one another in love. That means every single person. Now, I'm not telling you that if there's people in your life that are spewing hatred and bigotry and racism, those people need to be removed from your life. That's not an influence that we want because that's not what the Bible teaches us. But I'm talking about the people that you have to bear with because they have differing opinions than you, that they have a different personality than you, that they sin differently than you because we forget sometimes that we also sin, right? That they, uh, that they have different opinions, that they sin different, that they have doubts in the Christian faith, right? So a lot of times we will push those people away because they don't champion our every thought and our every move and we cut them out of our lives, we are just so focused on removing these what we call negative people or negative things in our life that we're not focused on bearing with one another in love. We may, you may come to church one Sunday and hear something that the pastor says that you don't agree with, so you say, I'm not coming to that church anymore. Or you go to a community group and you find somebody that's a little annoying or takes up most of the time talking, so you think, I'm not going there anymore. Or we cancel somebody because of something they put on Twitter 10 years ago when they were a child, Right? instead of recognizing that there's opportunity for growth in every single one of those. Bearing with one another in love is hard. I think it's hard because of the word love. I think we can tolerate people, but I think bearing with one another in love is hard because of the word love, because of what it kind of means to us in America. It's a big word that it, romantically, for a husband and wife, a lot of times it's a, it's a big step to take when you tell somebody you love them for the first time, right? That's really tough. It's something that you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to say it yet, right? And I, will she say it back? Who knows, um, right? And so we, we get scared of the word love because we, don't, we think it just means to be in love with somebody. But the good news is that Paul actually told us what love means in a few books earlier. Is anybody familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Who had that read at their wedding? Yeah, my mom, she did. I mean, I, I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm assuming because she raised her hand. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, Paul tells us exactly what love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, there's that word again, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We read that at weddings often because it is a beautiful depiction of what marriage should look like between a man and woman. 
the sacrifices they're going to have to make, putting their pride away, loving, being patient, right? But in reality, Paul didn't write this to a man and woman. Paul wrote that letter to a church, telling the people in the church, this is how you're supposed to love one another. So when he says bearing with one another in love, he's telling us we've got to bear with one another by being patient, by being kind, not envying, not boasting, not being arrogant, not being rude, etc., etc. And I know that's tough because, one, that's a long list of things that I've got to not be or be, right? It's tough. I get it. So let's, let's break it down and make it a little smaller. If you're trying to figure out how you can love the people around you better, especially the ones that you can't get along with, if you're trying to figure out how to love the ones that you uh, can't get along with a little bit better, replace every time that verse says love, replace it with your own name. So Sam is patient and kind. And then think, is that true? Am I patient? Am I kind? Think, Sam does not envy. Sam does not boast. Is it true? Man, can I work on that? Right? Replace your name with the word, or replace the word love with your name in that verse, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And find the places that you can identify that you're not doing your best at. And start there. Maybe it's just one, maybe it's two or three, but you find the places that you can improve just by looking at the definition of what love means that Paul tells us. Start there. Make small incremental changes and fake it till you make it. The third way that Paul tells us uh, that we can uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called is verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, first, what is that unity of the Spirit? The unity of the Spirit is that special togetherness that the Holy Spirit creates in congregation. That's our shared experience of our adoption into God's family. That's the Spirit that we're looking to keep unified. The special togetherness that we have as Christians because we've been adopted into God's family. And it is so, so important that we keep that together. I think the most important word of that entire verse is the word eager. Paul didn't say walk in all humility, gentleness, and patience because you have to, right? Don't keep this unity of the Spirit by doing those things because you have to. He said be eager. That means jump to it. Be excited when you walk in the door of church to see the people around you, to love on them, to build them up, right? To be the church outside of this building. We are to create every effort to protect this unity because it is so, so important. Because without the unity of the church, we have no way to grow. We have no way to get better. We have no way to learn of our faults, right? Because we don't have people around us that are speaking godly wisdom to us. So that unity of the Spirit, that special togetherness that God has given us, we have to do everything in our power to protect it at all costs and be eager to do it because of how important it is to us. Tensions are going to happen in church, believe me. They occasionally do it every single church. But if we combat tension in church with uh, opinions and gossip and hatred, 
you'll see a great divide be created in the church. But instead, if we encourage each other prayerfully and we reach out to help, we pull ourselves out, we put our pride to the side and help people instead of taking over, we'll see growth in the church because of this incredible unity that we feel. Um, I've told my testimony a few times sort of at a high level that I uh, grew up in church, uh, got out of church for a little while, met my wife, she drugged me back to church by the grace of God, and now I'm here preaching, right? That, that's the pretty high-level version of my, my testimony. But the part that I don't often tell, and I really have never told, is the part of why I left church, why I left church. So probably my sophomore or junior year of high school, uh, we were in church every single day. My mom and dad taught the single parents class. They taught children's choir on Wednesday nights. We were probably there like at least three or four nights a week. Um, and we were fully, fully devoted. It was one of the largest churches in the state, and we just loved it. I was really ingrained in the youth group. That summer, I had felt a calling to be a youth pastor. And in that fall, a small group of people that had a Sunday school class every Sunday used the time that they should have been taking to build this unity up in the church to spread gossip and rumors and divide the church. And I, I sat as a young, as a young man uh, and watched as people spewed hatred in, in the uh, sanctuary. As, when I watched as the church was split down the middle because of rumors that one small group had started. And uh, I, so I left church. Didn't, I mean, we went occasionally, but I didn't really go back until I met Julia and started going to church with her because of what I saw happen in the church. And it was scary. And it took a long time to come back, right? It took somebody like Julia who's strong to say, no, you got you to go to church, right? And it took a long time for me to be in a position where I could stand up here and preach because I was afraid of it. And it's something I'm always keenly aware of is, is protecting that unity, right? Looking at each other and thinking, why are we sitting over here talking about how we don't like the paint color of this room when we could be talking about how we could be out in, in the community spreading the love of Jesus, it's something I'm so, so keenly aware of, and it's something we've got to be keenly aware of, church, when we're building a, a building in a couple of years, or in, in the next two years, right? It's something that we're going to let our opinions get in the way of what God is planning to do with that building, and we've got to step out of it. We've got to step completely out of it. The good news is that uh, not only did Julia bring me back, but real life has brought me back to this incredible, vibrant love that I have for Jesus Christ. Because when I come in on a Sunday, I see Cindy up front smiling and excited that I'm here, right? I see people at the coffee station making sure that everybody's fueled up. The worship team is up here just, just giving all they've got to worship. And I see it every single day here. I see it in our community groups when people break down and give everything they've got to bond with one another. They pour out their hearts. The unity of the Spirit, guys, is strong here. But you got to go with it. we got to be pulling in one direction because, because hatred and rumors and uh, opinions, they divide the church. And they pull in different directions. But if we're all pulling in the same way, if we're all headed so that we can keep this incredible unity together, we will be walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And I believe that's happening here. Well, we're going to wrap up today with uh, communion. 
Communion is, is an awesome uh, way that we show our love for Jesus Christ by, by emulating what he did by, in, in taking the bread, which is his body, and the blood, and the, and the wine or the juice, which is his blood. But as we prepare for communion, I want you to reflect on a couple of things. The first is this chapter here in Ephesians. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called? Do you understand that calling first? And are you working every day to get a little bit better? Are you finding ways to love one another better? Are you finding ways to be more humble in moments where you feel like you should take over? Right? But if you're sitting here today, and uh, I want you to also think about why you're here. Are you here because real life is your church? That's awesome. I'm glad real life is your church, and I'm glad that you're feeling this unity that I'm feeling. And I hope that you'll take these verses to heart as we go into the next year and work really hard to maintain that unity of the Spirit. If you're sitting here today and it was your New Year's resolution to be in church more often and this is your first time, congratulations. You did it. This is your first step. You're here. I would love to talk with you about that. I'd love to talk to you about what Jesus Christ can do for you. I want to talk to you about what being in a church like real life can do for you. I'll be standing in the back. I would love, love to talk to you more about what it's like to be in church. But if you're, if you're also here because you've felt my pain before, that you were in church, you were fully devoted, and you, um, and you got out because of hurt or pain that you felt. I feel it. I feel it for you, and I'm just glad you're here. So do me a favor. Come back next week. Come back one more time. Feel the unity of the spirit that you're feeling today, that you'll feel when we sing, when we worship, when we do communion, and come back next week. And see that we're all pulling here at Real Life. We're all pulling in the same direction. I'm going to go ahead and invite uh, Emily up as we prepare to respond. And we'll also invite those that are uh, preparing to uh, serve communion today. Communion is the most important meal of the week, in my opinion. Uh, it's because it's the gathered body of Christ taking it together to remember what Christ did for us. So here at Real Life, we have an open communion. If you are a follower of Christ, we want to invite you to take part in this, uh, in this supper today. Um, and if you are not a follower of Christ, we want to invite you to, just, to stay in the seat where you are and reflect on God's love for you. you maybe pray to him, talk with him about, is, is being in a relationship with you something that I should be pursuing? If you have questions about what that looks like or you want to pray with somebody, we got some incredible people at the prayer station in the back. They would love to talk with you and pray with you about what it looks like to be in this perfect unity with Jesus Christ and perfect unity with his church. Um, and as you come, you can come for the communion. You can walk down these two side aisles and then go back up the middle. We also have a germ-free station and a gluten-free station in the back. Church, it's going to be hard to be able to walk in a manner worthy because we're being called to a really, really high calling. We're called to something that's going to be really difficult to achieve. But if we just make small, incremental changes in how we love each other, how we take our pride out of it, and how we look around us and think about the bigger picture by keeping this unity, it can change. You may not see that progress throughout the year, but you'll look back at the end of the year and think, man, 
I loved my family better. I loved my pastor better. I loved my church better. And I'm praying for that for you in the year 2023. It's going to be a big one for you. I'm praying and I'm feeling it. It's going to be a big one for our church. I know that for sure. And church, I'm just so glad that I got to share this this sermon with you today. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump into the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, what a blessing you've given us in your son. You sent him to die on the cross so that we could be in a a relationship with you, Lord. And and you have called us to love you and to tell other people about you. And Lord, we may be sitting here today and we just don't feel worthy of that calling. We feel like we've got things in our life that are pulling us back, that are keeping us from doing it. But Lord, I pray for every person in in this room today, those that are watching online, that they feel that they have the power to just to make small changes in their life, to make small changes in how they love each other, how they take their pride out and let other people step forward, and how they can look around their church and build this unity that you've given us, that you've gifted to us. Lord, as we take this, uh, take this supper today, this communion, we're reminded of this incredible sacrifice that you made we thank you so much for it. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.